Good morning. Technology. There's supposed to be music behind that, but you know, you got the point if you read the words that are going by. First of all, I want to say how proud I am of our youth. Each of those. <clears throat> Each of those cardboard uh, statements was their own personal testimony. To give you some idea of what our youth are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And if you hadn't had the chance, I would invite you to come on a Wednesday night around 6 o'clock and just go out there and hang out with them, talk with them, find out what's going on. Um, I first saw this at their fundraiser. I think some of you may have saw that as well. But it takes a lot of courage to write some of those things down and go before a lot of people. And now they just did over live stream, so they're not telling how many people just witnessed your testimony that you had for God. And for that, you have my gratitude, my adoration, and my respect. Made new, moving past our past. And of course, our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. If you're ever going to get to where God wants you to be, where he desires you to be, you're going to have to let go of your past. This is true as individual believers, but also true corporately as a body of believers. God has a plan and purpose for your life. For individuals, he has a purpose for my life, a purpose for your life, and a purpose for this body. And you will never be able to move forward until you stop looking backward. You can't walk forward or make forward progress if you're constantly looking back. Now understand that doing so does not mean you you, uh, have the absence of memory. does not mean you fail to remember. It means that you'll no longer be influenced or affected by the past. It means... To break the power of the past by living for the future. There was a movie once, and one of the lines, I'm not going to tell you what the movie is, I'll tell you later after. He was trying to inspire people that were instilled by a lot of fear. It was the Matrix movie. And he stood before him and says, I can stand before you truly unafraid, not because of the path before me, but because of, the path, because of the path behind me. Looking in the past, how things have happened. And if that's true as believers, as we look, glance back, and look how God has moved, we can face the future. But if we're going to face the future, we can't keep looking back and letting the past have a hold on us. God does not hold your past against you. Did you hear me? God does not hold your past against you. He will use, you, use you in spite of it. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison, knowing that his time was short. Probably going to face a beheading in the sometime near future. Yet, he writes that he has more to look forward to. Look at verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The Lord Jesus had set Paul on a great adventure, and it was not over yet. Paul was looking forward, not backward. 
He remembered what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking backward, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, most of you in this room have had a guard at one point, or you have one now. If you're constantly, now we have a tiller, we don't have a horse in the plow. Maybe you do, I don't know, you may have a tiller. But if I'm constantly doing this with my tiller looking back, what's going to happen? I'm going to get zigzag. I won't be straight. I'll make a big mess. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. And we'll get, that, get there in just a moment. Look back in verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained it or reached the goal or have already become perfect. What he means by that is fully mature. But I press on. Through his past experiences, Paul has, yet, has not yet achieved completion. Now, some look at this passage and say the primary verb is that I may know him back in verse 10. And that knowledge involves knowing Christ's power and suffering. And because this knowledge was related closely to experience, Paul desired to experience the full implications of his union with Christ. Now, some say the object of the verb obtain is found in verse 11. The resurrection from the dead, and that does fit the context much better. Therefore, Paul is saying that he has not yet completed the experiential process begun in his salvation. Paul was looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. You get that? He is looking forward. Looking forward to the process of conformity to death. He almost looks forward to death because death leads to the resurrection, and the resurrection leads to Christ. In fact, in this book, he writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he struggles with, he wants to stay here or go on. Look, he says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. I'm hard pressed from both directions, having desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul is wrestling. Now you see how oxymoron this sounds to the world. I'm looking forward to the time I pass on from this world to physical death because physical death leads to the resurrection. And here's the point. This world is not our home. This is not it. This is not the goal. The goal is to be with Christ and to experience Christ in all His fullness. Look what he says in verse 13. One thing I do. The New Living Translation puts it this way. I focus on this one thing. Here it comes. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. This comprehensively expresses Paul's future orientation. What was done was done. Both the nostalgia of the former life and the good old days of his Christian life would paralyze him in terms of what God wanted to do in the future. We can't let the past hold us back to where God wants to move us. Christianity is not a passive thing. It's active. It's growing. It's maturing in our faith. In fact, the book of Hebrews says you should be past the elementary things, past, past the milk. You should be taking on the hard meat of the word. And that's so often in our pulpits across America, all you hear is the gospel. Now, the gospel is good. Don't mess with me. There's a power in the gospel. People need to hear the gospel. 
But as we mature in our faith, we should long for and yearn for the deeper things that dig into the Word. And it's quite easy to look back with rose-colored glasses about all the good old days when all this was happening. Everything that we see happening in our society and culture today was happening years ago, and it wasn't just in your face like we see it today. There wasn't 24-hour television and media and the internet and all these other things. So it's in your face. And yes, I would say there was some shame involved with some of us behavior, but now it's out in your face. And we hear about things a lot quicker, almost instantaneously, than we did just a few years ago. But we can't let that paralyze us, keep living in the past. At some point, you're going to have to let it go. He says reaching forward or straining. That's an athletic metaphor that he's using. It brings to mind the straining of muscles, the clear focus, the complete dedication of the runner in his race for the prize. It requires both mental and physical discipline. You have to strain for it, work for it, keep your eyes on that prize. And what is the prize? He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize. I pursue as my goal the prize. By the way, that Greek word translated goal can also be translated mark. It can be understood as the goal marker in English. It was the, the point that the runner fixed on as he ran his race. If you're running a race, what's going to happen if you look back? You're not going to complete it. You're going to fall down. You're going to get hurt. Keep your eyes looking forward. Pick a spot and keep going. And that's what Paul's saying. I, I found this spot, this marker that I'm looking towards. And everything I'm doing, I'm straining to reach it. I'm making every effort to get there. I don't care what happens to my left or to my right. I'm keeping my eyes on that mark. So what is the mark? It's Christ. Not only his death was resurrection, but his life is a model for us to follow, to imitate. And let's not forget, he lived the perfect life. He is righteous, and he willingly laid his life down. As a believer, his righteousness is now imputed on me. As, as Roger pointed out, I deserve the wrath and condemnation of God. But because of his great love and his great mercy and the sacrifice of Christ and what he did on my behalf, his blood covers me. His righteousness now covers me because he lived the perfect life. And in that we can all rejoice. What's the prize? I've said that three times now. Look at verse 14. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or as NIV puts it, for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. <laughs> On the resurrection day, there's going to be a call heavenward. We'll be called to go home. To be home with all our fellow saints and to be in presence of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How will he do that? By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. We read in Scripture, 
when that trumpet sounds, those who are alive will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, will be called heavenward. I love my country, the United States of America. I've served my country, but my true citizenship is not of this world. I am a citizen of heaven. I am an ambassador of that great kingdom. Not because of anything I've done or could do. It's because of the blood of Christ. What's an ambassador? You're an ambassador of this country. You go over to England. Everything you speak and do, you're representing the power, the people, the wealth of the United States of America. You're speaking on behalf of the people and of the president. But as a believer, when you get up to speak, you represent something far more powerful than that. The eternal kingdom of God. You're an ambassador. And when you speak, you're not speaking your own words. You're speaking the words of the king, which is, of course, God himself. Paul lived for the day when that heavenward call would come. Just like a victory in the race. When that race starts, there's going to be a victory somewhere. It might be a mile, two miles, three miles. might be a marathon. Who knows? But they're running a race to win the, to win the victory. And rather than slack off, as some are prone to do, the thought of it motivated him to further purity and service. Paul desired to know every dimension of Christ, his reign and his suffering through every means, and the joy of the process kept him going because he knew the ultimate joy was the completion of God's work in his life. There has never been a come a, come a day in your life in this life, as you follow God, that you can sit down and say, okay, I've done everything, I know everything, I'm completely perfect and fully mature in my faith. Even Paul says he hasn't attained that yet. That does not happen on this side of heaven. But Paul used the desire and the eagerness to finish it. That's what kept him going. As we stated in Bible study this morning, Paul was so eternally focused that he saw everything through that. I don't have a death wish. I, I want to be around to see my grandchildren grow up and see other things. But I have to keep things in perspective. My wife preached to me in the car the other day. Yeah, you heard me right. We're talking about some current events happening. And she looked at me and said, you've been preaching through Revelation, right? And I said, yes. Well, then you should know. Why are we so surprised? He told us these things would happen. Why are we so worried about it? Tim's translation, Jesus tells the disciples what's going to happen before it happens. This is my paraphrase. So they wouldn't freak out when it did happen. He told them before he went to the cross what was going to happen on more than one occasion. How he would suffer, be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. He would suffer and die. But on the third day, what did he say? I, the Son of Man, will rise again. He's told us what's going to happen. Do not let your heart be troubled, he says. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 15, Paul kind of sums up this section of Scripture by saying, let's therefore as many as are perfect or mature have this attitude. Conceivably, Paul is addressing a group of people who shared this outlook. But perhaps Paul is speaking in irony. Addressing a group of people who assumed they were perfect. And he's calling them to admit their imperfect knowledge about such matters and accept his guidance. We look at the law. Okay. I haven't committed adultery. That's the letter of the law. But Jesus says, wait a second. If you look with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. It's a difference. I have never, never committed murder. But Jesus says, if you look at someone with hatred in your heart, you've committed murder already. Done that? See, there's a difference. Before we get all wrapped up and looking at how perfect or righteous we are, we better take a good look at the cross of Christ. He goes on to say that if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal this also. I think Paul is worried about unity of the congregation. That people possibly gossiping around another about how perfect they are, how imperfect this person is. But God will correct the wrong attitude in the course of time. There are misunderstandings that are involved with their perfectionist ideas. I, I got to say this. Here in America, United States, somehow, now we... We will say we disagree with this, but subconsciously this has taken hold in our churches. That we think that all you have to do is walk the aisle, say a prayer, get dunked in the baptistry, everything's done, everything's completed. That isn't important because that's the first step. It doesn't stop there. It only starts to begin there and you start changing and maturing in your faith. When I witness to somebody or we have these deep conversations, the first thing someone will tell me is, well, I was baptized, I attend the church. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you have a relationship to God through his son, Jesus Christ? That's a whole different question. He says in verse 16, let us keep living by that same standard which we have attained. That Greek word translated, let us keep living or let us live up to, generally means an orderly walk or a disciplined walk. And it has overtones of collective discipline. It means that you're all walking in the same row in the same measure. What they have achieved up to this point should be their measure to guide them into the future by which they will walk collectively. In other words, what, you, what you've learned so far, use that to help guide you, but do not stop there. They were to know Christ and look forward to the resurrection. They were to press on toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. There is the answer to the title of this message. How to move past your past 
know Christ, look forward to the resurrection, press on toward the prize of upward call in Christ, and you will overcome your past. You should learn from it. And perhaps they're saying you should confess and repent and leave it alone. Your past does not define you. God does. I fear that some in this room and some within the sound of my voice, you, you gather and you, you have all these problems and issues. And you put them down, you come in, how you doing? Oh, life is great, I'm doing fine, thank you very much. But then, as you walk out, you pick up every piece of baggage in which you came in with. Confess, repent, and leave it at the foot of the cross. (laughs) There's a song out by an artist called Jeremy Camp. It's called Into Your Hands. Talking about, I'm tired of dealing with this. So I'm taking it out of my hands, God, and I'm giving it to yours because you are big enough. You can handle it. Do we really believe that? That God can take care of anything in our lives? If we do, then how come we have so much problem with moving forward? See, the problem of many are shackled by the past and we can't move forward because we're spending too much time looking backwards. It's no wonder we find ourselves stumbling. It's no wonder why we're falling all over people. It's because you cannot walk forward by looking backward. Listen to me very clearly. God is not looking at where you came from. He's more concerned about where you're going. He wants you to be with him in heaven. And even now, he has his hands reached out to all humanity. Reaching down with them with love and grace. Nothing has happened in your past that can hold you back from God's grace and mercy. This text this morning tells us, instructs us, teaches us to have a resolute, unwavering, untiring determination to reach our goal. If we're going to live and do what God desires from us, then we're going to have to let go of our past and press on toward the goal. Like I said, this is not calling from absence of memory. I think you should... Learn from the past. That's one thing, but being shackled and tied to the past is something completely different. Because right now, I guarantee you, right now, because it happens to me, whenever you hear God's word proclaimed, whenever you step into a worship service, a little voice goes off and says, you know, you're just too bad. God can't do nothing with you. These people do not know you like I know. You know whose voice that is? That's the father of lies. That's the accuser. That's Satan voice of the enemy but he has no power in this place he's been defeated as one of my brothers prayed this morning the feet is written across his forehead he's defeated by the cross and the precious blood of Christ 
what I'm calling you to this morning, what God is calling us to this morning as believers and as a body, don't be tied up so much in the past. Quit looking in the past. Look to the future. Our eternal destination is far more glorious and grandeur than you can possibly, I can possibly imagine. Take the most beautiful sunset you've seen here on earth. Take the most beautiful mountaintop view. Any favorite place you like to go because it's so beautiful. It pales in comparison to what heaven will be like. And yes, it talks about streets of gold and all these mansions and the pearls and all these Parmore's precious jewels. But that pales in comparison because we'll be in the presence of God himself. And we will see all the ones who've gone on before, all the saints who've gone on before. Can you imagine meeting Paul? Could you imagine meeting Peter? But more importantly, can you imagine looking to the eyes of Christ? Seeing his nail-scarred hands, his feet, and side. Seeing him as he truly is? looking around that glorious place and realize, Jesus, you gave this all up for me. You came down off your throne. You humbled yourself to take on human flesh, to walk among us, to teach us, to show us, and then become the way that we needed to escape the condemnation and wrath for our sin to have salvation. Wow. I have no idea what that will be like completely, but just the thought of it brings me to tears. Not tears of sadness, but tears of happiness and all that I can't even possibly imagine. So, if you've never given your life to Christ as both your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and do that today. I invite you to come and pray. I'm going to be real vulnerable right now and personal, so just bear with me. I can't tell you what the sermon was. I can't tell you who the preacher was. But it's been years ago when I was an undergraduate in seminary. A preacher said, some of you in this room have experienced divided homes, separated homes, your parents have been divorced and some bad things have happened and you haven't really let go of it. You haven't cried and wept over it and gave it to God. And I'll echo those words that some of you in this room have experienced some horrible things. I want to invite you to do this is a safe place where you can come Weep over it, just leave it at God's feet. There's freedom in letting go. And no one in here is going to laugh at you or make fun of you. Let it go. Put it to the hands of the Almighty. Let it go. There is healing and restoration. Confess repent it and let it go heavenly father
we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. So many times we let the events that happen in our lives hold us back, chain us. We can never truly move forward. And I know that some people here, a group this size, there's people who have experienced loss, there's people who have experienced crisis and relationship and family issues. And they're doing the best they can, but God, I, I know we don't have the answer. We have to let those situations go and to trust you with them and to place it fully into your hands. Father, let your spirit continue to move. You knock down the walls and you break the chains. You are the way maker. Give us the discernment and the courage to respond to your voice, the voice of truth this morning.